are you running towards who you want to be in life? This is episode 188 with Sam Scafidi. Welcome to Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today I sit down with Sam, the founder of Project Sweat Run Club, a movement that started out of her own running and now trains hundreds of amazing humans all over the world. Sam is actually the one who programs my own training runs, and I was eager to sit down to learn more about her transition from sports into the world of endurance and beyond. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to invite you to check out the Forever Athlete Social Club. That's right, we are launching a membership community for all of you to grow further together. This monthly membership will feature three monthly life coaching calls with me, a monthly coffee conversation meetup to meet one another, peer-to-peer learning space to learn from one another, and the ability to connect with others just like you in your immediate area. This will officially launch to the public September 1st, but I wanted to extend an early access and your first week free as a thank you for just being a supporter of the show. Head on over to foreverathletesocialclub.com and join us as we find flow together. Now let's dive into it with Sam. Let's get started. Sam, how the heck are you? How how much did you run this morning is my first question for you. I'm curious. I ran eight easy miles this morning out on Randall's Island in New York City. It's a beautiful little island here. Um, and it's very hot and humid, so very sweaty eight miles. I've, I feel that. I ran my first two post like hip stuff yesterday. And it was really easy, like nine minute pace. Uh, and I was drenched in sweat because in yeah. Austin right now, it's like, 80 degrees the moment you wake up and it gets to 105 every day so very similar I feel your pain um (laughs) you're one of the few people that I know that will use that lingo of like easy x amount of miles and it will usually be a longer distance (laughs) where did that come from um because I I know why I use it but I'm curious to hear when did at what point did like eight miles become easy Uh, you know, that's, it's such an interesting, like, course that I've taken to get to thinking of eight miles as easy, but it's really just an effort for me. Like easy could be two miles, easy could be six miles, eight miles. I could have a 20 mile easy run where you're just not really working that hard. Um, and I think I didn't really know that till I was training for like a little more seriously for marathons that you can actually like enjoy the process of it. You don't have to be grinding all the time. Um, and when running started to become more of like a, a place for me to be like mentally free or like find my flow state and those sorts of things, like that's when it became easy until then. I think I was just like fighting my way through and hoping that it looked fast on Strava. I was about to say you were doing what I was doing for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we gotta, we gotta learn eventually. I mean, if we don't, if we don't intentionally take that time, I feel like our body will teach us that lesson at yes. some point too. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, Walk us back a little bit. Um, you share something with my dad, actually. My dad went to Towson as oh, well. Did. Yeah, fun I'm fact. He swam there back when it was Towson State back in the day. So wow. he'll appreciate your background. But yes, grew up playing field hockey and then made the transition to Towson. Walk us through what that was like. Yeah, so, you know, I actually, like, I started playing soccer when I was four And then I tried everything, anything that was available to me. Field hockey was like actually the last sport that I tried and I just naturally gravitated. Um, But I did, I played basketball. I played volleyball when I was young, softball, t-ball, any sport that was available to me. Um, And then eventually 
I think it was probably my junior year of high school where it was like, I didn't love soccer the way that I used to. It started to feel a little bit like work, even though I still loved it, I guess. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it wasn't the same type of love you have when you're a kid, when it starts to get more serious. Um, I knew I wasn't going to play basketball in college. So it was kind of like, I want to go to a D1 school. I'm not getting recruited for this. Where can I actually like go enjoy my experience and try to walk on? And so Towson uh, was the pick and the process of it was like pretty gnarly. I started reaching out to the coach the summer before I was a freshman. So this is like 2008, summer of 2008. Um, and she like wouldn't answer or would say like, hey, we don't do walk-ons. And so it's just like that. I don't think that's how this works. So I just kind of kept like reaching out and figuring out like, who do I need to get in touch with? I joined the club team, asked around campus. And then I found out there was a walk-on on the team from the year before. And I'm like, wait, you do walk-ons. I know you do walk-ons. So I like contacted them. Um, I started like just training constantly with this in the back of my head. Like eventually she's going to have to say yes. Like I went so far as to wear like my high school jerseys with my last name on it and run around the track where her office could overlook it so that she would be like, okay, this girl means business. Um, and so I went through a whole semester, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I could put myself back in the Towson library the night before my biology exam before Christmas break. And I finally got an email on my Blackberry and it was the coach saying, okay, you can try out for this week in February, like the very first week of school or right before school, you have to come back to the dorms early. Um, and so it was like amazing. And then I, I don't think I studied at all that night. I was so hyped. Like finally there was like a, a, me being able to identify myself as an athlete again. And so I went home for winter break. I was swimming. I was working out. I was doing all the things that you're supposed to do to kind of prepare for a preseason Meanwhile, other athletes are like partying and having winter break. So um, when I came back, we had this major snowstorm and school was closed for the two weeks that I was supposed to try out. So it was just like, what, what do I do now? So um, eventually, I guess like two weeks after that, schools reopened again. They... They set me up with the girl that had walked on prior. Her name is ironically Sam as well. And they were like, she's going to pick you up and bring you to practice. And I was like, awesome. So I felt I was in good shape. They like, you have to get blood tests and do all this stuff and make sure you're not, you know, taking any illegal uh, uh, supplements or anything like that. So I do all of this. We get to practice and like, I'm the smallest kid on the team. I have no real experience weightlifting. I've weightlifted, but not in an athletic way mm -hmm. that they do in a, a weight room. Um, and that's kind of how practice started. It was those first two weeks was just weightlifting. I had no idea. I'm a strong girl, but I had no idea where to place myself. So they were like, okay, we want 70% of one rep max. And I'm like, I don't, this is new to me. I don't know what that is. So like day one, I'm working with like the bigger girls on the team, strong seniors, even like they're like taking me under their wing, helping me. We're doing weighted step-ups. I fall off the block like at the top of the step up, hurt my back. And I'm like, don't tell anyone, you know, like just push through, push through. Um, and so like the tryout from there, it just was like, I was in pain, but you know, that eventually goes away. You're a kid, you heal quickly. Um, 
And from there, it was like, there was another snowstorm. We missed a couple of days. So she was like, you know what? You can play with us for the spring semester. So I was like, I made the team, you know, like you just kind of like get so excited. You're like, I'm on the team. I'm getting like Under Armour, Towson field hockey swag. The girls are inviting me out to party. Like I felt like part of the team. So the spring semester, we did a couple tournaments. I had like pretty bad Achilles tendonitis at one point. We were like doing workouts on the track a couple times a week. And I was always like a little bit on the edge of like, am I going to rupture my Achilles, which is my biggest fear as a runner. Um, and what was most interesting to me with that is like, I got really good at running, but I didn't like when someone told me what to do with running. Mm. So I would go and crush these workouts and I would just have to like prove myself. Like I ran my fastest ever mile during that, you know, whatever six month period or four month period of being on the team. And then we went through like, you know, scrimmage season and we were playing other colleges and spring season, whatever. And one day, just like out of the blue, she calls me to her office and she's like, Hey, so you're not what we're looking for. Pack your bags. Thanks so much. Like, and that was the end. I left my stick in the locker room, never to be seen again. I left all my stuff. Like that was, I just dropped it from then. And it was like, okay, what do I do now? Mm. Did a part of you like want to argue or were you just like, all right, this is, this is it. I think I was so defeated because mm. I was kind of a big fish in a small pond in high school in terms of like, I went to a very small high school. I was naturally gifted as an athlete. Um, I probably had more of an ego about that than anything of like, oh, I'm good at this. Mm. I certainly wasn't the best on the team there, but like I was not letting anyone outwork me. And so it kind of got to this place where it was like, if my work ethic isn't enough for you, then even if I learn all the skills that you want me to teach, it's still not going to be enough for you. It was almost kind of like, and it took me a little while to kind of get to that place, but I, I didn't think arguing was even worth it. And I was also terrified of her. As as most athletes are of their yeah. coaches, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, yeah. constantly that visual of like, yeah, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell them like this, this, and this, this needs to change. And then like, you actually go in there and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do anything that I... <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. And you're like, I'm actually so happy. How can I do more? What more can I give to you? <laughs> you totally turn the script around and you're like, wait, how am I now having to practice three extra times in a week or whatever it looks like? Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. At, so at what point, so this is spring freshman year, right? That that this happens? Spring sophomore year. Yeah. yeah freshman year. Cause I come home from Christmas break. Yep. Okay. And then walk me through at what point does running kind of enter the picture as this and how did it enter the picture and end so, up being like what it is now for you yeah it, it kind of was a journey in a lot of ways um that summer I moved home obviously for summer break and I worked at a gym in my hometown called poor fitness and they were kind of doing military style workouts like the founder of the gym is in a wheelchair he's so motivating like one of my first fitness mentors um, and I was so inspired by like the hard work, like you're flipping tires in a parking lot, you're, uh, throwing sandbags around, you're doing this in the snow, in the hundred degree weather. It's just like, everyone is there to grind, which I like loved. Um, so I got super into that and running was a part of that, but it wasn't everything yet. Um, and there was these women and it's so funny. I like never think of this um, there. They must've been in their like late thirties, early forties. 
and me, and they asked me to be on this adventure race team. And so it was in September of my sophomore year, and I had to run like 12 or 14 miles. And then we kayaked as a team. And then we did mountain biking as a team. And so I trained when I went back to college, I just was running. I didn't have like the same type of gym. There wasn't a CrossFit gym. There was like, that wasn't, it didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. So I just started running and I loved it. I probably abused it a little bit much and was running way too much all the time. Um, and we ended up doing the, the race and that was great, but I ended up with a stress fracture. So I, it's like athletes. And I think you say this a lot, like we're just addicts. I just wanted the high of running and I had to do more of it to get to the same place. And it's just like, when, when does it end? Um, and it ended for me temporarily when I had the stress fracture and then I found yoga and did the exact same thing with that. I was all in, I did a 200 hour certification became a yoga instructor, like was teaching for the next two and a half, three and a half years of college or um, however long that was. And then CrossFit started becoming a thing. So I joined a CrossFit gym and running kind of just sat on the back burner. I was like, I got hurt doing it. I don't know how to do it. Um, but at one point when I was running a lot, I became friends with a lot of the track and cross country girls and I would run with them. We ran a half marathon, like the Baltimore half marathon. And I, I ran like a 134 or something, which is pretty good. That's quick. <laughs> um, and they were like, you should really join the track and cross country team. So at one point I did speak to the coach and he sent me like their winter program. And it was just so much that I, I was like, this is not going to be fun mm. for someone to tell me I need to do two a days. I need to do this. Like it suddenly took the joy out of it for me, which I didn't experience and I don't experience now, but then it was just like, I'm not going to like it. I already like wrote it off. Um, and so maybe that was a missed opportunity at, at the time, but I was really like yoga CrossFit was my life. Like I was coaching at a CrossFit gym. I was teaching yoga classes, doing both of those things, going to school. Um, and I also was like preparing to graduate a semester early. So I was just kind of like, everything was all at once. And everything else that I was like, so identifying with kind of fell to the wayside. And now I was a CrossFitter and a yoga instructor. And that wasn't about fitness at the time. It wasn't the fitness industry wasn't then what it is now. Mm. You have such an interesting background in the fitness industry. Yeah. Come, I've seen come it to all. think about it. Like seen it all. I didn't, I didn't even realize the the role that yoga played in your journey as yeah. well. Um, I think it's very rare that you see someone in your shoes come with like the CSCS, which for those listening in is the strength cert that most college strength and conditioning professionals and pro team professionals hold as well. Then to have the yoga instructor part of you to be teaching at CrossFit. And you also taught at SoulCycle for a number of years. Yeah, I feel like ironically, each of those in itself could be a personality type right like we oh, all know we all know the college strength coaches and they're like very much college strength coaches yeah we all know the yoga teachers that are very much like all right you might be overdosing on yoga like <laughs> let's let's do some other stuff here yeah how was it like embracing this multi-dimensionalness of kind of your experience in the fitness industry and i guess now do you find yourself drawing on all those principles and little things that you've picked up over the years, I would assume, to kind of create what you created now? 
Yeah, you know, I think I had a really hard time identifying with one or another. Mm. Um, I always like joke with friends that I've had like nine lives. Like there's yoga version of Sam, there's CrossFit version of Sam, there's Soul Cycle version of Sam, there's Runner Sam, there's Coach Sam, there, you know, it's just kind of all over the place. And I think at, at my core, I am who I am in each of those facets, but you do kind of cater to the people that you're teaching or coaching or that you're associating with. Um, I know when I did CrossFit, like I was strict paleo, gluten-free, did all the things. At yoga, a lot of those people were vegan or vegetarian and they were like, you eat just meat and vegetables. And it was like, oh, maybe I should really dabble in this. You know, like I was really trying to identify with something I was grasping so hard and I didn't know it at the time. But when you look back, you're like, man, I was just searching for something to mm -hmm. hold on to that also held on to me. Um, and I think that I definitely bring all of those elements into like run coaching and strength coaching now. But um, I found my way to soul cycle at some point along that journey. Um, and that kind of felt like the marriage of CrossFit and yoga, where I could be mindful in my speech and how I spoke to the room and how I um, address the riders in you know, the moments when the lights are down and you get to kind of go inward, that was very like what I learned in yoga. And then I could also bring the intensity of like a CrossFit workout and make it really high interval, very athletic. Um, and so that kind of, I think, helped me identify who I am as a coach and as a person. Um, and then as time goes on and I that kind of ran its course, it was like, I was already kind of training for a lot of marathons throughout the course of teaching at SoulCycle the next most natural step for me and, you know, the pandemic as unfortunate as it was gave me an opportunity to really hone in on this um, was to become a run coach and help a lot of those people who were doing too much yoga, too much soul cycle, not enough strength training, not enough cross training, mm. teach them, okay, this is, this is the baseline of how you can run because that's all we could do it, you know, during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that was what got me into running. It yeah. was like literally March start of March, I just started an eight week squat program where it was like, my intention was to squat over 400 pounds and like PR. I was wow. like, I can't wait to go do this thing. Yeah. And then two weeks into that program, <laughs> gyms, forget <laughs> about it. And I don't know, like trying to PR a squat that heavy. I didn't have access to any weights heavier than like 50 pound dumbbells at home. So yeah. very quickly changed from all right, we're going to be in a strength focused lower body conditioning phase to let's go into running and see what happens. Yeah. So tell you about my, my first soul cycle experience. I do not. I didn't even know you took a soul cycle class. So I have a, a longtime client of mine, one of my first personal training clients. She's actually the one that you had asked if I still have fitness clients. She's yes. the one that I still work with. So I was working with her for about a year. And prior to me working with her, she was the typical archetype of soul cycle, like junkie goes five times a week and is just frustrated that she's not getting the results, quote unquote, that you think you'd be getting from going to soul cycle five times yeah. a week. And you know that kind of with your background as well. <laughs> so like, let's try this strength training thing. Well, she invited me because she was like, you're, you're always quote unquote bashing soul cycle. You got to come take a class and see like what I love about it. And I'm like, all right, fine. So I go to this class, it's in Bethesda, and <laughs> we're, we walk in and one of the instructors and employees comes up to me and he goes, oh, you're Signe's friend? Like, um, she, don't worry, she like took care of you. She uh, made sure that we got you the heaviest weights at your bike. I was like, great. 
<laughs> my client is getting payback on me. Yeah. So sure enough. Like, I don't know where they got these tens. They had them somewhere in there. But I was like, okay, whatever. Tens. I'll be fine. Oh my God. I walked out of there. I was like, this is insane. What did I just yeah. do? Like 10 pound yeah. weights on my arms for 10 minutes. That's really good. fall off. Um, yeah. So I, I didn't really want to go back to soul cycle after that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's so interesting. There's so many instructors and it has changed so much over the course of time. I started in 2013 and um, I left in early 2021. Mm. So I, I had a, a pretty long run and to see how it evolved over time. And early on, I like knew I needed to stand out in some way as everybody does and get, you know, notable, um, get, get on social media and make sure people are talking about you and all of these things. So I'm like, okay, what can I do to make sure that people know who I am? And so I started doing push-ups on the floor when everybody would do them on the bike. And it's just like, it was the coolest thing, or especially early on, people would be like, you just jumped off the bike and did 64 push-ups to the beat of the music while we did them on the bike. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't do that because I do push-ups on the bike. I do that because I did I all this strength training outside of this. Mm. So it, it was interesting to kind of like learn that. And um, even that kind of sparked my like personal training business and strength coaching interests. And during that time is when I got my CSCS um, because it felt like not enough women were talking about it and not enough women in the fitness space were talking about it in a way that was digestible because mm. it can feel really intimidating it can feel really like, oh, am I going to bulk up? All, you know, that's always the number one question. And thankfully, I, I feel like that stigma is kind of going away about women strength training. But it is like early on, it was like, how do I educate people that this is also a good thing to do? And so yeah. that's like my certification started and um, the personal training started trickling in. And it was a lot of soul cycle clients. Most of my clients, even still today, came from soul cycle. So it was such a, a beautiful kind of door to open to introduce people to this other aspect of myself and also have that one-on-one -on -one relationship, which I, I really prefer. Yeah. And it's such a more holistic support of them as yeah. well. Right. Like, yeah, there's nothing like what I told my client. I was like, I don't have anything like there's nothing inherently wrong with soul cycle. It's a, it's a good workout, but in my opinion, if you do it five to six times a week, like you're leaving something on the table because you're not supplementing it with the right stuff. Yeah. And it's a lot of motion in one plane. Why don't we try training in some other directions as well? Maybe moving laterally, getting some supplemental yeah. strength training. That's more than just, oh, we knocked out a hundred reps of three weight, three pound weight curls. Yeah. It's not... <laughs> Yeah, that that's not the only way. I think, I think what it does really well is gets a lot of people moving. Hundred um, percent. And I think that's the part. If I did miss any part of being in that, it's having sixty or eighty people in a room yeah. together, and it's so special and so unique. And like, I would get chills sometimes, like looking out at all the people, and you're just like, I'm doing this with them. They're they're doing this with me, and we're doing this together, and it's so special and so beautiful, and um, but you're absolutely right. Five and six days a week, some people seven days a week, sometimes two times a day, it becomes so much of a crutch the way that when I first got hurt running became a crutch for me, it was like, mm. almost like you're running away from something or you're avoiding the other things, assuming this is the way that I'm going to get 
to X goal or Y goal when really it's like, you've got to have some variety. Yeah. How to, to that point. So one of my all time favorite um, social media posts was from Rich Roll and he posted something around running. And for those not familiar with his story, he was a lawyer, an alcoholic for a number of years and then found like ultra running. And I was like he was a collegiate swimmer too at Stanford. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He's so he's from the same hometown as me. Um yeah. he's swimming against my uncle growing up. So there's like so many connections there. Um, but he posted something about how a lot of people just tell him he's replaced his addiction with alcohol with running and endurance. And he said, you know, on paper, that might be the case. That's what it looks like. But I'll tell you this much from my experience. Alcohol leads to one thing for me. Running is an endless possibility. Like, and it just, he kept comparing the two where it was like, it's not that he's running away from something, but he's actually running towards the possibilities that came with it. At what point were you able to find running again as a way that you weren't running from something, but it be this kind of freeing, just a part in an expression of you. Was that also during the pandemic or? No, it, it was definitely prior. Um, I, my partner and I ran our first marathon in 2014. I think it was her second marathon. Um, and then we ran two more after that in 2015. And then I kind of like, we didn't really train. We didn't follow a plan. I think we ran 16 miles. We ran our second marathon together was Pikes Peak in Colorado, which is the second hardest marathon in the world. And we just like went for it. It took almost nine hours. Both of us got to the top. I think it was the one and only time where I was like, I think I should quit. I think we should call it. And we talked ourselves off the ledge and came back down the mountain. Um, But even after that, like, running was three or four times a week. And only when I was really training for something, like if I look back at, I didn't start using Strava till later in my, you know, Mm. running career. So I don't know when exactly it it switched, but um, I can look back at those days and see that I was only running three or four days a week, if that, and then I would take months off. Um, And I think what it really switched for me is I, I wanted to break three hours and 30 minutes. I wanted to qualify for Boston and I think in 2016 or 2017, I started taking it much more seriously. My soul cycle uh, class load kind of cut down from like 16 or 18 to 12 to 14 a week. So I knew I could run a little more. I had more time for strength training. Um, so from 2016 to like 2019, I think, or 2017 and 2019, I started taking it much more seriously and finding that I could be pretty competitive even with just myself and that I was seeing real progress in real time. Um, And then it was like, before I even ever had a coach, which I didn't have a coach until 2020. Before that, it was like, I would just run to run. There was a time during the pandemic, I ran a 50 K for my birthday. I did 31 miles for 31 years. And during my training for that, I went out for a run on Randall's Island where I ran this morning and I left my apartment at like 550 and I ran a full marathon on Randall's Island. I PR'd my marathon on Randall's Island and came home and just went about my life. And it was so bizarre to me because that was no, I had no plans to do that. I just, I was planning to do a super long run, maybe 22, maybe 24 miles. And then once I got out there, I was just cruising. I didn't drink water. I didn't, I did it all the wrong things. I didn't have fuel with me, but I just, I like found my flow. I think um, Rich Roll talks about that in his book for one of his like longest runs. Mm. I just didn't want to stop. 
And I think once I got to that place, which was during the pandemic, then it just kind of like snowballed after that. Once you experience that, it's like, oh, we can do something with this. Yeah. I mean, flow is highly addictive in of itself, right? Yeah. Um, I think the beauty of it, though, is that we can find it in multiple areas. We can oh, find yeah. it in other areas of life, not just physical. Where are you finding it now for you outside of running? Do you find it for you outside oh, yeah. of running? Definitely. <laughs> I, I think for me, so I'm a huge podcast listener when I run, mm. but I never have headphones with me when I'm like commuting to work, um, whether it's subway or biking, or even like if I take an Uber or whatever. I very much find that when there is no sound or noise or like you can kind of close those things out, it's kind of like that experience when you start driving and you get to the location that you want to get to and you're like, I don't remember driving here. I have that so frequently now in in like just my day to day of when I'm making lunch or when I'm out in the world of just like being so in my thoughts, but like free in my thoughts, not stressed, mm. worried but more about like tuning into myself instead of like scrolling on Instagram or being on my phone or those sorts of things. Um, and then as far as like other, other ways of productivity, it's like when I'm passionate about a project that I'm working on or an idea that I have, I can work for three, four or five hours and just like not need to look up and just the ideas keep coming. And then when they stop, it's like, okay, I'm out of my flow, but you don't hold on to it. Whereas I think prior to understanding how it works and how to best use it, I probably would have been like forcing ideas, making poor choices, and then it ends up being really messy. Yeah. I mean, I always say you can't force flow. Yeah, not at all. You can you can do things that help conjure it up and like encourage yeah. it and increase the likelihood a thousand percent, but you can't, yeah. you can't sit there and be like, all right, focus. Like how many times do we say? <laughs> sit down on our desk and we go to work we're like and focus ready go yeah and then like a minute goes by and you're like oh, god damn it i'm not focusing what yeah. what am i doing wrong i need to focus harder that's what i do yeah I, I think the interesting thing for me is that i've never really looked at it from this lens of just like it is when i'm on the go that i can mm. like find it best sitting still is not inspiring to me like even if I'm like struggling with an idea for run club or I'm, I want to do something new or something different, or when I'm programming, it's like, go for a walk, kind of clear your head of it. And then suddenly it's like, everything is given to you. And it's like, how, how do we get here? You want to know why? Tell me, please. <laughs> so flow happens in this fourth stage cycle. We have struggles. The first thing oftentimes where we get caught up is we struggle to a point of frustration and try to push beyond it. But the second phase of the cycle is a release phase, which is that walk, which is yeah. that removing stimulus, whatever that looks like. The shower, taking a second to make lunch, whatever it may be. Then you have flow, then you have recovery. Yeah. So the reason being like when you sit down, the best thing to do when you're feeling stuck is actually like if you're finding yourself flirting, I say flirting with frustration, like you're yeah, just yeah. you're just on the edge of it, right? You're kind of beating yourself up. Why can't I focus? Why why can't I solve this problem? I need to be creative. It's just not coming to me. If you have the awareness to recognize that and then step away, all of a sudden by you removing that stimulus, what you've done is now when you come back to it, it's actually inviting you in. It's actually really exciting. That's why removing the stimulus, like the walk without headphones is so big. I'll even yeah. tell people, like if you need this faster than that, 
like stare at your white blank wall for a minute. Yeah. And then come back to the thing that you were trying to focus on. I guarantee you the thing you were trying to focus on or you're struggling to focus on is more exciting than the white wall. Yeah. You know, so all of a sudden now you've tricked your brain into being like, oh, this, I need to pay attention to this. And attention and focus is what really fuels our flow and fuels that state of mind. So a little nerd out. Yeah, that's that's very cool. (laughs) I I think for me too, with running and in where I really find it the most easily and like readily available for me, it's because you can't focus on other things. Mm -hmm. It's this one thing that you're doing. And especially in New York City, like there are cars, there are people, there are bikes. In Central Park, there was a family of raccoons yesterday. You know, like you've got to be aware of what's going on around you. So you can only be in that moment. And yet at the same time, I can complete a run or go out for a run feeling completely frustrated about something or stressed or need to figure out a solution and come back and be like, oh, I don't even know why I'm worried about that. (laughs) It's just so wild. It's freeing, right? Do you run with headphones in the city? or without uh, yeah i i do um when i run in the morning i'll listen to like a podcast there's a couple that i kind of cycle through that um i love the like long form podcast if there's a podcast that's like 90 minutes i'm all in Perfect. because i know it won't run out um i'll do that probably three or four days a week if i'm doing like a speed workout or quality session down at the track maybe i'll do music um but i wear the aftershocks so i can like easily okay. turn those off and hear i can always hear what's going on around me i think the awareness like especially in the city but even outside of the city like it's scary to know that someone in a car could like not see you and um so i just think like having any sort of awareness those have been kind of a game changer for me in terms of being able to know what's going on around me um but i do love listening to it's like when i listen to podcasts it's like having someone tell you a story while you're running they're your two buddies with you going back and forth i'm like laughing half the time it's it's very um it's freeing and it's it doesn't feel like a waste of time if that makes sense i feel like sometimes yeah especially with the way social media is now like you can scroll forever and never get to the end of the instagram or tiktok or whatever you prefer to look at and that's mind numbing to me Whereas this, I'm like, there is a finite ending. Yeah. They are going to hang up the phone or end their Zoom call. Their podcast is going to end and I'm going to go on with my life. I was about to say, remember the days when you would get to that point on Instagram and it would give you that like oh such gosh, satisfying check. Yeah. Like you've done it. You've caught up. You're caught all up. You've seen like, it all. Oh my gosh. Like, I don't yeah. think that exists anymore. I don't think that's a feature. I don't think you can. I just, I just think it's impossible. Which is a wild. I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms in the discussion yeah. in and of itself there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The social media side of things is, is an interesting one as you and I, I know. I, just, <laughs> I think the biggest part for me with social media is like the distraction of it. I think mm. it's a wonderful tool. I'm having a lot of fun taking little videos of doing my mile by mile. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that's fun, but I do think kind of like talking about the flow state, like if you pick up your phone and you look at Instagram or TikTok or Twitter right away, you are already like triggering something in your brain that craves more of this. So I don't know mm-hmm. if it's dopamine or what, but like you want more of it. It's the same reason, you know, you can read all these articles about how Google made their email notification red. And the same thing with Instagram, it's a red heart because red triggers something in your brain to go back for more. So if you start that process, that's all you want all day long. And for me, it's very much like, 
I'm a victim of that too. If I see that people are active on there, I want to be active. So mm -hmm. when you go running and you're free of that, I don't think about it even for a second of like, what's going on on somebody's Instagram or who tagged me in something or what do I need to do to make sure that I stay relevant today? <laughs> Which is so crazy that we live in a world where we think we have to exist Most on every the day and exist. Yeah, I think it's a great reminder, like we can exist beyond the internet. Like yeah. one of my favorite, uh, I really jam on this guy, this poet in Q. I don't know if you're familiar with with him. I'm not, no. Really great work. Um, I actually framed a poem of his in my apartment here because it just really resonated with me. But the opening line is like, the birds don't sing for a Grammy. Like they're just yeah. singing to sing. And I think that is often what we lose sight of, especially now in this digital world that you and I are fantastic we'll hype ourselves up we're fantastic at what we do right like you're a phenomenal coach you're very knowledgeable you know what you're doing and it can be very frustrating at times when you don't get the social validation for that right. you know what yeah. i mean because you don't know how to do the structure and the delivery and the consistency and find the right hour to post that yeah. the magic hour as if that's going to solve anything uh <laughs> It can be very frustrating because we, I think what social media has almost had businesses do, coaches do, is start to focus on the wrong thing. Yeah. For as many coaches as I know that are rock star coaches and struggling to do have a social presence, I know equally, if not more, people that have a strong social presence that have no idea what they're doing on the back end business side of things. Which is very scary. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. What would you rather have? Yeah. Personally, it's I like cool. to, yeah, I like, like to create just to create though. And if it yeah. resonates with someone, amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Fantastic. I think it's cool that it allows more people to use their passion for a career, mm -hmm. but I do also think it's a little dangerous. Um, as, as we all know, you can read anything on the internet that has no truth or value to it. And people can say anything on the internet that has no truth or value to it. Um, but it is, it's a lot about this, like, you know, star factor of they capture your attention, they draw you in, they, you know, finish the right way so that you come back the next day and all of these things. But it's at the same time, it's like beyond all of that, if you pull all of that stuff away, who are they as a person to you? Do they mm. offer you value in the way that you're looking for it? Are they someone that you can trust? Or, you know, and there's there's all these other things that I worry for, like the generation behind us, which makes me feel so old, that that's how they're learning is yeah. on, which is cool. You know, all these recipes that get shared around and go trending, like that's awesome that people can find new ways to experiment in the kitchen and makeup tutorials and all of these things that people love. But on the other side of things, I'm just like, what about the stuff that isn't true that yeah. we're being forced to believe or choosing to believe because someone who we like says it? Oh, I see. It. I see it now. One of my favorite trends is like TikTok is not therapy. Like so many people are self-diagnosing or yeah, treating yeah, yeah. it as therapy. ADHD TikTok or something like this. The which one? There's like an ADHD TikTok. Okay. Yep. And they literally tell you like, 
don't go on TikTok to cure your ADHD. And it's like, but then they go back on TikTok to find out what the next step is. It's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, like a, it's a beautiful art to it, I think. Um, but I like the way that you kind of worded it of if there's value and reoccurring value, amazing. And I think that's that's what I have started to really appreciate more, not just as a creator, but as a consumer, is being more mindful of who is it that I am following to make sure that yeah. when I am showing up as a consumer, I'm getting something in return. Like right. I'm tired of seeing the fitness pros come on there and be like, three abs, like do these three ab moves for a, a six pack. I'm like, I don't, this isn't what I need. <laughs> I don't I want to do think this. And maybe it's just like our age group too. Like we're, we're kind of looking at it a little differently, but I do feel like there's a turn of that where mm. I see far less of that than I did maybe six or eight months ago or even during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I think even during the pandemic, I was doing videos of like Soul Cycle Arm series so that the people that weren't running with me that were, were former riders of mine had something to do that gave them a little bit of incentive to like, hey, move for like eight minutes today. Yeah. And so, so from that regard, I think it's a beautiful tool, but I do think that like, I, I have like mixed feelings. I love to hate it. I hate to love it. Like, it's just so hard for me to really dive in all the way or like, I've got like two toes in the water. I can't jump in yet. And I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it feels hypocritical for me to like mm. not love it. And then also be a, a really participant with it. Um, but it is, it's, it's, I mean, I probably wouldn't have any sort of connection with you without it, which is very fascinating and cool. But at the same time, I'm like, when does that stop? Or yeah. when does it change? Or when does it look different? Because it's changing all the time. The fact that TikTok became what it is. I remember when TikTok started, I was like, I will never get a TikTok. Mark my words, I'll never have one. And then you're like, hey, Sam, you need to get a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably benefit your business to have a TikTok. Oh, and I feel ridiculous even now, like there's a little bit of, I wouldn't say shame, but just like an almost embarrassment when I'm sitting on like one of the parts of my business is really sitting down with student athlete development uh, coordinators across the country in different universities. And they'll be like, oh, so like what platform should like people connect and engage with you? And I'm like, TikTok. <laughs> and they're like, their immediate reaction is like, wait, this dude that we're possibly bringing in to be a speaker and consult on how we're programming for our athletes is on TikTok. Is that yeah. professionalism? I'm like, it you all depends it. on how you I use it. That changes. Yeah. It, it, it really depends on what you're presenting, how you're presenting yourself and those sorts of things. Um, but I do, it's not going anywhere. If anything, uh -oh. it's getting bigger and bolder and, um, I think a lot of people who have found success in it are the first to say like, this isn't the last evolution. Something comes next. We don't know what it is yet, but something comes next and um, call it NFTs or whatever this other metaverse exists as eventually it changes. Like I think of Facebook, like we had Facebook when we were in high school and today, actually I did text a friend from high school and I was like, Hey, do you have any photos from cross country in high school like yeah she's we didn't have facebook yet and i'm like oh my god that's so crazy we actually didn't have facebook yet you're like oh crap how do i document and that? now <laughs> now facebook is 
30 year relative, you know, like, so it's kind of crazy that it evolves in the way that it does. I hate on it the way that I do. I participate in it the way that I do. Yeah. Yet we are here because of it. I think there is something so powerful, whether it be the connection between you and I just through the platform, like, I feel like I know you pretty well. We've never met in person. Like, yeah, we've never, never been in the same state at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then also too, like every time that I'm like, you know, I might be done with this. I get it so timely. I get a message from someone like somewhere in the world. That's like your videos, your content has helped me do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. You know, that's what I want. Like you, you said yeah. earlier, there's something really truly powerful about sitting on the podium in soul cycle and having 60 to 80 people in front of you moving. Yeah. And the fact that there is a platform out there that would allow you to recreate that at scale, like 10,000, hundred thousand yeah. X that, and you can motivate and inspire even just, I mean, it really should just be one person yeah. to move and to improve their life. I think that's the true beauty in it. And that's what personally keeps me coming back to it yeah. even though I've said it before of like if I don't have if I didn't run a business I probably wouldn't do social media because it ruins a lot of stuff too right I was yeah. listening to a, a podcast today on um, really kind of like the neuroscience behind uh, what goes on and how we like process a breakup or really just like process an identity loss in general um, and it was a very interesting point where like in the past pre-social media days, when you broke up with someone, it was a little bit easier to move on because just quite simply, like they didn't exist anymore for the most part, yeah. Like you could easily get them out of your subconscious and conscious mind. You won't see them often. The odds are, are a lot more in your favor. Whereas now you break up with someone, you're going to see their stories all the time. The algorithms work in a certain way where they're like, they knew that the two of you guys were interacting a lot. So they're pushing their content even more <laughs> to you. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like this is, I can't move on because it's always in my face. Similar to when swimming ended, it was like, I needed to step away from swimming before I was ready to see swimming stuff again. Probably the same yeah. as you with field hockey. Like I need to step away from this. I mean, before I, I left, watch any I of it. left everything in the locker room. Like yeah. with me, like, Field hockey sticks are not inexpensive. I, you know, like I left some money on the floor there for them. Um, but it is, it's, it's kind of crazy how it all ties together in such a natural way. Of, I mean, you got to work a little bit to to figure out how it is connected. But when it comes to like identity and those sorts of things, social media, I think, is a way for people to try on a lot of different identities mm -hmm. and to see like which one of these is really me which can also be dangerous because it's yeah. like, who am I? Um, and who can I know, be today? <laughs> we can have a full hour conversation plus on that. Um, but it is really about knowing what you value, knowing who you are, knowing what you stand for, knowing what lights you up and inspires you and just kind of chasing that day in and day out. And if it changes, it doesn't have to change the trajectory of your whole life. It could, which for the better or worse, yeah. but it's really about like holding on to the things that are at your core value. And I think when I look at like all those different identities that we were kind of listing out of all the different things that I've done, like at my core, I've always been Sam, you know, like it's, it always mm -hmm. feels 
good to look back and feel proud of like all the different places and phases I've had and know that not all of them were for me and that they all kind of led me to the place that I want to be. I think the the beauty and identity in, in psychology, we would say this is the, the final evolution, the final phase of identity and how we view ourselves is actually this embracing of the paradox that we can be multiple things. Yeah. Like there's something truly freeing that Sam can be a runner. Sam can be a run coach. Sam can be a loving partner. She can be a daughter. She can be like, you can be so many different things. Yeah. And when you start to view it as such, now all of a sudden there is this lightness in there's less pressure to show up a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, we're, I mean, at the end of the day, we're human. We're going to have some flaws and errors in that. But to me, that's been one of the most helpful things in shifting how I view myself and like detaching from results in certain areas. Do you think that you had expectations of how you had to show up after swimming was over? Or do you feel that you just didn't know how to show up? Um, both. Okay. I think so personally, um, what was really challenging for me was up until that point, I felt like everyone that had ever known me knew me as the guy that had it figured out. Like I was very early on, like I was a swimmer. And so like anyone who knew me growing up in my hometown knew that like one, I swam and two, I was going to be swimming like at the highest level that I could possibly take it. Um, and then even outside of that, it was like physical therapy. I like interned at a physical therapy clinic my senior year of high school because I knew like I wanted to know at what is that like 17 years old that I was on that was my career path newsflash none of us decide our like career path at 17 right um and so mine was almost twofold when swimming ended I lost swimming and then two weeks later I got rejected from every PT program that I applied for and it was like wow for the first time I don't have a step like the next step laid out I need to sit and figure this out so it was kind of dealing with this outside perception of me I'm like well I don't want to admit that I don't have it figured out because everyone's perception of me is that I've always had it figured out so I'm gonna mask that and hide it and like suppress and do things that I'm I don't want to do necessarily but like it's for show um and it took me a while honestly I think it took me numbers number of years and something that I still kind of deal with every once in a while to really let go of other people's perception of me not worry about that and that's honestly posting and creating content has been a huge help for me there especially on TikTok like I didn't tell anyone on Instagram at first that I was on TikTok I just like silently built that up, which was super cool. Yeah. And it was, it was freeing. I, I got to view TikTok as this playground where I could try things and I didn't have to worry about how someone perceived me in doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? I, and I started 
find my own confidence and push the boundaries of that where I started sharing things that I never thought I would share publicly. But then it was like, oh my gosh, uh, one, like no one cares, you know, or sometimes like they care a ton and they'll attack you, but that's a whole nother story. So I think that was to answer your question, kind of my journey. Did you have, I'd be curious to hear your experience in that as well. I think, I think I felt lost for a long time, but not in the way that I would expect to feel lost, if that makes sense. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think feeling lost means like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I, we have very similar stories. I had a job coming out of college. I was working for this European company. Um, I graduated a semester early. So I was like off in the world and moved to Charleston and I was working from the beach doing sales of fish oil and vitamin D and magnesium, like as one does, I guess. But I got that job because of Twitter. I was very active on Twitter at the time and they reached out to me like, you would be a perfect fit. And um, it's when I was very heavily involved in CrossFit and CrossFit was huge on Twitter at the time. Um, So I kind of found that job and I was like, I'm going to work my way up and be the American CEO. And I'm like 22 at the time, 23, like what am I thinking? Um, And also this is like a male driven company from Denmark. Like there was only two women on the whole team. So it was like a stretch for me to believe that that was a possibility. Um, And I had like all these side gigs. I was coaching CrossFit. I was teaching yoga. I was, I worked for a beef jerky company. I was packaging beef jerky in Charleston, South Carolina, the company is called the new primal. They're super successful, great, amazing products, wonderful people. Um, I just had like all these like little side hustles that I knew I would always be okay. And I knew I would always like find a way if everything fell apart, I will find a way. I'm not afraid to get dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that it was like a lost sense as much as it was, which one of these am I going to be today? And I still, I don't, I don't think I struggle with that. I don't think it is necessarily a struggle. I think it's like an opportunity of like, today I can be focused on running. Tomorrow I can be focused on strength training. The next day I can be focused on me. The day after that, I can be focused on my family. I can go to Pennsylvania and visit. I can plan a travel, you know, like I almost think what once felt as like a difficult obstacle to overcome or like navigate is now like a superpower of like, I get to be mm. all these things. I had all of these experiences and I don't know how to share them in the way that you do on TikTok, which I, I really appreciate like your vulnerability in that way. But I do know that each and every choice that I'm making is only setting me up so that in some way, shape or form, I can help other people. Yeah. I was about to say that's, that's I think what's the biggest takeaway is there's a through line between totally. the what on paper looks like you don't have it figured out looks like you're trying a million yeah, different yeah, things yeah. trying to make it all work is exactly the process that you had to go through yeah I had to go through and yeah. that's that's okay I, I mean maybe that's what we get to to put out into the world is like is it are you lost or are you just experimenting and trying things yeah and encouraging I- that and even in, in the experimentation of it, it's like some things fit and some things don't. Yeah. And like, I think when we're young, we can't accept that because we feel like if something doesn't fit, we don't feel like we're good enough mm-hmm. or we don't recognize that not everything or everyone is for us. 
And then as you start to get older, it's very much like, I always appreciated like a tiny circle. And I don't think that everything is for everyone. And whether it's like, you know, things you're passionate about or news that you have to share. And I think because of social media and, you know, everything comes back to that these days, because of that, it feels like everything has to be for everyone. And if it's not, mm. not right. And so it's, it's kind of like our role as people who have experienced this, like, I love mentoring younger kids. Like, like some of my favorite clients are like these 18 year olds or 19 year olds who are like, just kind of getting into it. It's like, this is the best part. It is yeah. the worst part. It's awkward. You're probably going to shed a lot of tears. You're going to be confused, but you get to have so much fun and no one has any expectations of you except for you to figure it out. And I kind of feel like I want to continue to carry that through my whole life because when you take those expectations off of yourself, everything becomes a playground. And that's the best way to view it. Yeah, totally. Uh, Sam, before we wrap up, I want to just say I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate every time that you and I get to connect. It was about time that we were able to mic one up and uh, share the that with the world. So I just want to thank you there. Be super respectful of your time. We do have a fast five, which are one what? sentence, one word answers. Uh, the first one being, what's your go-to podcast that you're jamming out to? Armchair expert, Dak Shepard. I, I could plug you here, but I'm sorry. It's long form. It's long form. That's my guy. I love it. Great choice. Number two, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? Ooh, that is a very good question. Um, I read quite a few good ones. I really liked uh, Do Hard Things. Mm. Steve Magnus just came out very recently, actually. Nice. Number three, what is something that you can't live without? Ooh, a lot of things I can't live without. Pair, pair of running shoes. So what what brand? Are you plugging any brands these days you with know, the running shoes? I've been wearing New Balance a lot for my easy runs, but those Nike Next Percents with the carbon plate on a race day can't be beat. I was going to say, those are my personal favorite as well. Um, yeah. What is a quote that you live by? Quote that I live by. I've got a lot of those. Um, do what you can. Mm. Last one. If you could sum up your focus right now to one word, what would that be? Community. I love it. I love it. So Sam, appreciate you again. Where can people connect with you? Find more about the coaching that you do, the community that you are building, that you have built. It's like you keep adding me to these Strava groups, man, and they're they're insane. <laughs> you got some people logging some serious miles on there. They can find me at Sam Scafidi, Sam Scafidi on Instagram. Um, and I'm on TikTok at Sammy Scafidi. Sam Scafidi was taken by an actor named Sam Scafidi, ironically. Um, and uh, on Strava, Sam Scafidi as well. You can join Project Sweat Run Club on there. It's a free app, free to anyone to join. I love it. I love it. Sam, thank you again. Thank you so much.